What's up, everyone? Welcome back to It's the Daily Grind podcast. This week on the episode, we have Deputy Athletic Director and COO of the Gonzaga Athletic Program. She is the queen of wearing many hats, and she's super successful at wearing all of them. She has a lot to say about being a good leader, leading one of the more successful athletic programs in this country, and being okay with changing plans. So without delay, please welcome Shannon Strahl to the podcast. Okay, what season of life are you in right now? I would say season of change. So it all started even two years ago with a transition in our leadership in athletics and our boss retiring, which was the end of an era in some ways, but we knew that it would also turn the page uh, for the next stage, which we were all excited about, including him. And so a new role at the same place, which is a a great spot to be in, where you could grow and and change and make mistakes in a spot where you're comfortable and you know the people. And so I guess comfortably uncomfortable in a new role and still adjusting to that, of course, but it's, it's been super rewarding and, and I love the people that I work with. So that that's good, but change nonetheless, Uh, we just moved houses. Mm. So lots of change there. Uh, my son is graduating from high school, so I'm now going to be the parent of a college student. Yes. Where is he going? He's coming to Gonzaga. Of course he is. Of yes. course he is. Okay, good. Yeah. So he's excited about that. I am too, but we're both very prepared for him to have the full college experience. So even though he's coming to a place that others would say, well, you're just staying home, he would say, it's not home. I've never lived on that campus. Mm. And I've never been in college before. So yes, I'm staying in Spokane, but I'm not living in my bedroom. I'm not having my mom's meals every right. day. I'm, I'm Not yet anyway. No, not yet. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but he's excited about that. And um, yeah, I think just those transitions, uh, it's changed. A lot of change mm-hmm. right now. And within your job, are you experiencing change within that role or just trying to adjust to the big change two years ago? Uh, well, I think it's evolving. You know, mm-hmm. we, we had the same athletic director who obviously did an incredible job um, for a long time. And and so while we were evolving even with him in leadership, it it was a different kind of evolution because you had the same leader. Well, when you have a new leader and um, even though our mission is the same, our values are the same, um, our approach is very similar, we all sit in what I like to say, we sit in a different chair. Mm-hmm. And so our perspectives, while we're the same people and we're at the same place and seemingly doing the same work, it's different. Your mm-hmm. lens is different. Your perspective is different. Uh, we have different responsibilities, uh, mm-hmm. myself included, and, and learning what that's like, uh, learning our department and, and our staff from a different chair, is, it's been so fun to see how, how good our people are mm-hmm. and, and learning their strengths and, and uh, learning where they have room for improvement, learning my own strengths and learning where I have room for improvement is fun mm-hmm. stressful but really fun yeah and so I'm excited to see where it goes growth is fun it's mm-hmm. hard and it has the growing pains which are hard but growth is so fun because it's constantly 
changing and it's constantly pushing you, like you said, out comfortably uncomfortable, yeah. right? Like not so overwhelmed that you can't go on, but just the right amount of uncomfortable that you want to keep unraveling the mystery of yourself or the athletic department or of others and getting to like the root of who you are as an institution and who these coaches are. So you had gone to school here, started working in the athletic department at school, but you mentioned before we started recording that wasn't always your plan. So how did you get here? Excellent. And how did you stay here? Well, I'll start with the first part of the question. Uh, right place, right time, I like mm. to say. Um, and I was a student athlete here and had, had made some connections in the athletic department through those four years. Also a part of the student athlete advisory committee. So um, with that comes some leadership responsibility and, you know, the, the community outreach and, mm-hmm. and working with the staff liaisons in athletics. Uh, I was a good student. Um, I, I didn't get in trouble. So I, I think that, um, and we were smaller back then and, and just things moved slower. And so mm-hmm. building relationships, see, looking back, seemingly was easier because you just had more time to do it. And, and the reason I bring that up is I was able to build some relationships within athletics. And so when an opportunity presented itself, I didn't go for it. They, they asked me if I'd be interested. I didn't even know that it was a thing, really, you mm-hmm. know, that, that you could be... Um, a student employee or, or a graduate intern in athletics and mostly because I was looking at different fields at the time and but when presented with the opportunity I thought oh this is different I never and I'm not like that I have I have a plan and I'm sticking to the plan mm. and, and in fact my family was very surprised when I shifted and pivoted that's not like me what well, wasn't like the old me I, I could do that well now as a mom mm-hmm. um and so I thought, okay, I can put in the two years. I'll get my grad degree. I'll learn this business. It, the work was interesting to me. Um, and I fell in love with it. And I didn't think I was going to. And I'm from the Seattle area originally. And I couldn't wait to get back closer to family. But I realized that this job was almost meant for me. Mm-hmm. Um, most certainly I was meant for this job and, and the skills that it, it requires and and. I, f- I fell into it and I learned quickly and I just wanted to pour myself into it and I was given the opportunity to do that and I, I still am grateful to this day for that opportunity mm-hmm. because I, I realized how lucky I was. Mm-hmm. So. so I'm in a period where I'm also pivoting mm-hmm. and the phrase I like to use is a slight change of plans which is a really big change of plans because it changes the trajectory of my life as I know. But I was also just talking to my mom, and she said the same thing. As a mom, you just learn how to pivot and change. So tell me about your experience with pivoting and changing and how you practice being better at that as someone who plans and is so in control of what you do. How, you know, when your son, you know, says something or does something and you're just like, oh, my gosh, we need to change course or something happens, how do you do that? Great question. I love that you use the word practice because I have not perfected it. And I'm confident that I'm, I won't mm-hmm. perfect it. And, and because I don't think it's natural to me. It doesn't come natural. I have to be really intentional and mindful. And it took um, marrying the person that I married who is very good at pivoting. Mm. Uh, he also has a plan, but he doesn't get rattled, or at least he doesn't seemingly get rattled when things don't go according to plan. And in fact, I wonder if he actually plans that the plan is not going mm. to go how he intends it to. And right. when you have that mindset of, all right, I have this course, I think I'm gonna go this way, but here's my plan B and C just in case, where I just have my plan A. Mm-hmm. And I'll be darned if plan A doesn't 
work. Right. I will do whatever it takes right. to do plan A. Mm-hmm. And I learned pretty quickly in our relationship that that was going to be an uphill battle for me. And, and I realized once I stopped fighting it and started going with it and starting to develop my own plan B and my own plan C, it was less stressful. It still, again, wasn't natural mm-hmm. that, okay, but plan A is the right plan. Um, it, it, it just, it, it relieved the pressure. It relieved the burden when I became okay with plan A is not the only plan. Mm-hmm. There, there's other options here. And, 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 and be eyes towards the outcome more so than the process in that way. And the process can change. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And becoming okay with change has freed me, mm-hmm. honestly. And so I, I do practice it, though. It mm-hmm. is not perfect, for sure. I heard someone say the only certainty in life is change. Yeah. And I hate that because I'm the same way. I'm like, again, I will do everything it takes for plan A to happen. I mean, something extraordinary would have to happen in order to change my course. But as I'm graduating and stop playing tennis, and now all these plans are coming to fruition and ending, I've had to sit back and be like, okay, I thought I wanted something six months ago. I've changed so much since six months ago. Now I think I want something different. But my personality is like, no, I need to see it through because I just committed to it. So I too am learning it's okay. Like you said, focus on the outcome and the process can look different and the process will be beautiful nonetheless. Um, So how do you experience that in your own life, maybe with kids or outside of, you talked about your relationship, but outside of work, how do you experience that change? Sure. Well, once you have kids, it changes every day Mm -hmm. because especially when they're young and they're growing and forming and, and wow, how about that responsibility, by the way, (laughs) but, but all good plans Mm -hmm. fail (laughs) because they never, they never happen. And I, and I rarely say never, but in that case, they, they never happen. And rather than have a life of disappointment that plan A didn't work again, or plan A, we didn't even get to, out the door to plan A, I, I realized that you missed out on the joy if you're focused on what didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so what did happen? And then if there's going to be a second time, how can I better prepare myself either to, to, to help plan A be more realistic or to just, who cares? What, what am I trying to do? What am I hoping the outcome will be? And what can I do to control it? And when I can't control it, this was the hardest lesson of all. And when I can't control it, don't try. Mm. It's not worth the fight. Mm-hmm. It's not worth the fight. And, and relieving myself of that pressure, like I said earlier, is, is freeing. Mm-hmm. It's freeing. Yeah. How do you balance that dedication to your job and that ability to kind of just swoop in and fix problems, but also having a family and raising kids? How do you balance that? I had somebody tell me a long time ago when I first became a mom because you feel that pull, you feel that tension all the time. I call it mom guilt. But somebody told me uh, early, early when my kids were little is try to be the best you can be where your feet are. Mm-hmm. You know, be in the moment. So when I'm at work, I try to be the best colleague, the best employee, the best you know, friend, um, the best boss, the the best whatever I am in my office, I try to be the best that I can be there. And while you can never forget your kids or your parents or your your other relationships outside of work, you can't forget them. But how do you focus in that moment? And then when I'm at home, this is where I probably am not as good. 
I try to be the best mom, the best wife, the best sister, the best daughter, the best friend, whatever, you know, the, what, whatever I'm doing in that moment, um, and try not to let work infiltrate that space. Uh, my kids will tell you I'm not very good at that. Again, in practice, I'm, I'm working mm-hmm. on that. Um, but again, it's that intentionality. It's the, the being mindful of where I'm at. Otherwise, I'm a, I'm a C average at everything all the time mm. versus in that moment, can I, can I be a B plus or better? Mm-hmm. And um, knowing that I'm trying to give my best. And sometimes I, I, I need to remember to not let perfect mm-hmm. get in the way of pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, but, but always doing the best that I can in the moment and whatever I'm doing. And, and um, yeah, 100% all the time is sometimes not in the cards for me right and and having to be okay I think that you know you show up to all the weekend games for your teams and it just seems like you're super involved and you give your all to the program and at the same time I can guess that you're a really good mom and your kids feel like you're always there for them so I could see the struggle of like that hard balance for being there for your student athlete kids if you will and your real kids Mm -hmm. and so I think that's really good pretty darn good is sometimes better than perfect and being where your feet are too. Have you ever felt like you wanted to just be home or have you always been so driven with this job? Well, I'm lucky in that I had really good family support when I had kids and and I always wanted to advance in my career wherever I was. I'm not I'm not a what you would call a ladder climber. I'm not looking for the next best thing. I want to be the best that I can be in whatever Mm -hmm. I'm doing. And um, I, I am what I would, what people would probably call a perfectionist. I know my sister would call me that. Um, and so I, I'm usually personally not ready to jump to the next level till I perfected the level that I'm at. And I know that's not how life works, or at least I'm learning that. So early, I, I, I did because, you know, I, I missed the first time my younger son rolled over, you know, a big mm. benchmark. But he's 16 now, so I don't think he remembers that I wasn't there. But in the time, I was like, well, I'm such a bad mom. I'm missing this. I missed his first step, actually, too. Uh, fortunately, somebody got it on camera, so I did get to see it. Mm-hmm. But I was traveling for work, and, and I travel quite a bit. But I did have a lot of support uh, from my mom and my dad in particular. My mom especially was watching my kids while my husband and I were at work. And, and I always marvel at my colleagues or friends who don't have family mm-hmm. in town. I think, how do you do it? But I see them do it. So, so my situation is no more unique than anybody else's. And what we did worked for our family and it allowed me to do both. That doesn't mean there weren't times over the years when I thought, I'm not a very good mom right now. I really, I'm, I'm hurting our family um, or holding them back, whatever the, the verb might be, by spending this much time on my career. It's selfish. You know, what I'm doing mm-hmm. is selfish. And then my husband, who's such a great partner, would say, this is our decision. You know, this is our family. Mm-hmm. What you're doing in work is su- helping support our family. Our boys are fine. Mm-hmm. They're fine. L- look at them. They're yeah. fine. Um, but it's the mom guilt. You know? mm-hmm. It pops up every now and again. And now as they're getting older, as I said, my son's going off to college, you just hope that my, my time influencing mm-hmm. him and, and helping him become a young man. And there's still a lot of formative years in his life, but not under my roof anymore. It's going to be under Gonzaga's roof. I just, I hope that that those years mm-hmm. that I felt maybe I should have been more uh, involved with him or at home with him, I hope that it worked just mm-hmm. fine. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. Well, I think you're a good example that you can do both, that you can have a successful career and also give back to your kids. And you, like you said it so well, just being 
good where your feet are in the moment. And also, like, I think the theme of this podcast is just practicing that. It's not perfect, but in a way, you just make a commitment and you just continue to try to practice being present. I, too, am a perfectionist. So tell me how you navigate perfectionism. Oh, well, I have uh, really close family members and friends who call me out on it. And that's, I, that is good. I, you know, my theme this year, and I've told this to people, is feedback is a gift. Hmm. I, it's hard sometimes, especially critical feedback. Nobody likes to hear when they miss the marker or you're not doing a very good job or that, that I don't see it that way. I think you're wrong or I'm mad at you because of what you said or did or didn't say or didn't do. That's hard. But knowing where somebody's at or where they how they perceive is so helpful because you can make adjustments Mm -hmm. right if you don't know and you just keep carrying on towards my plan a and i don't have that feedback loop i think all my decisions are great but Mm -hmm. if, if i'm not hearing otherwise from trusted individuals i might go down the wrong path plan a might not be a great plan and so i'm i'm lucky to have great trusted friends and and family members who will let me know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, part of asking people for feedback is being good at receiving receiving feedback. And I think that's where maybe people would be listening, thinking, okay, well, I could do that, except the person that I want to give feedback to is just going to shove it back at me or be mean or whatever that looks like. So your job is giving feedback to coaches and your job is giving feedback to a bunch of people. So how do you navigate that when they aren't very kind about receiving that feedback or receptive to it or even willing to change? Right, and again, I think here I lean on control what I can control. And and sometimes it's not the what I'm telling them, it's the how that might be more effective and, and being willing to make adjustments on that. And, and if the message isn't being received, how can I deliver it differently so that maybe it is being received? And at the same time, being receptive to their feedback on how I'm interacting with them. And, and again, this takes a lot and a lot and a lot of practice. Um, it's, it's something we talk about a lot as a staff. Um, and it's how we're gonna get better if we can receive feedback and give each other feedback. Um, and I think for me personally, especially around my perfectionism, if you will, or, or my sister used to call me Captain Intensity because I would just get so dialed in and I would not open my eyes and see the bigger picture. And I appreciated that she told me that because I think I would still be that way. And, and you know, again, I mentioned my relationship with my husband early on and, and he is not that way. And, and I, I appreciate that he's true to himself and I needed to make that adjustment if that was going to work for us. And so... Those two people in particular, I think, have helped me see a different way of approaching how I do my business mm-hmm. personally and professionally. And I appreciate that because I think I'd be betting my head against a wall right now, wondering why my stuff isn't working. Right. You know? but, but being open-minded early on to a different way mm-hmm. has, has helped me. That doesn't mean I don't run into frustrations or people don't get frustrated with me, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think... I have the ability now when I'm in, in the right mind space to take a step back and say, this is not working. What can I do differently? Mm-hmm. Not what, what can they do differently, but what can I do differently? Because that's what I can control is what I do. Did that take you a while to learn that? Oh, as far still as, learning. Okay. Yes. <laughs> as far as like what I can control versus you need to change. Because I think too, being a boss of a lot of people, maybe it's easier to be like, this is what you need to do. So how do you navigate that as far as, what was the point in which maybe you had this wake up moment or it's just over time where you've been like, 
well, really only I can control what I can control, and I'm the only one that can buy in. You can't force people to buy in to the feedback. Right. I, I, I think I'm still waking up to it, to be honest. I find, especially, you know, when you're tired or you're under a lot of stress, you you know, I, I hope this isn't the sign of my true character. I really hope, but but we start to revert back to what's easy, and that's pointing the finger elsewhere mm-hmm. because, by golly, I'm tired because of them or I'm tired because of this situation. It's happening to me instead of if I can pull myself out of that or have some, again, trusted people say, pull your head out and look at the bigger picture here, what can you do differently mm-hmm. that's going to help change the path of this or, or the outcome here? Because what the path you're going down right now is not helping you, clearly. Mm-hmm. So, so what changes are you going to make? Yeah, <laughs> and not to get like too philosophical with it, but I think ultimately that's just showing love for others and being so much, interacting in a way that you're showing grace and, and kindness. And it's not just best practice, it's actually just so much deeper than the best business practice. Right. It's really just showing love to the people around you. Yeah, it is. It's hard though. I mean, it's hard to hold yourself accountable. It's hard to hold others accountable in a loving way. Mm. And that's that's what's taking practice. And I think one of the things that I've learned at Gonzaga and, and continue to try to think about is um, that the presupposition, right? That that people genuinely are good, that that it's a much happier place to live in my mind when when I start that people are good. Yes. They're not inherently bad. And then that they are trying to do the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And if it's not up to par or if it missed what I was looking for, at least I know that they're coming from a place of good. And, and some call that la-la land. I don't know. La-la land's pretty fun relative right. to the, the, the converse of assuming that they're bad or, mm-hmm. or they're trying to hurt me or um, they don't want to you know, be on the same team or, or, or try to come together on something that, that I can get pretty miserable pretty fast. If, mm-hmm. if I think that all the time, don't get me wrong, my mind goes there sometimes, but I try not to start there because it, it can be pretty miserable. That's funny that you bring that up because just before we were recording, we were talking about Brene Brown and in one of her books, that's her kind of premise is, do you assume that people are doing the best they can? And whether or not it's true to live in a space where you do assume people are doing the best that they can, it just gives you a whole different perspective on life. And it takes away the judgment of like, well, she's a bad mom because this, this, and this, instead of saying, what or what if she's really doing the best that she can? And I think so too with being in a leadership position in any job, but especially in your job, to just assume these people are doing the best that they can probably brings you so much more peace as opposed to thinking, you know, anything less than that. And, and it's hard sometimes to start there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and many times I'll find myself in a conversation where I do start to go down the path of judgment or blame. And it might be sleeping on it. It might be it's not sitting well. You know, and you can just feel it physically. It's not sitting well. And then I think to myself, come on, no. What if they are doing the best that mm-hmm. they can? and get back to that presupposition and starting from there, then it's like, okay, let's assume they are doing the best they can. What can I be doing mm-hmm. then to help change this outcome? You know, again, yes. it keeps coming back to what can I control? Mm-hmm. If they're doing the best that they can, what can I control? Yeah. And I, I, I wish I was better at it, and I'm trying every day. We talk about it a lot, a lot, a lot, because it sometimes doesn't come naturally like mm-hmm. I wish it would, and, and I hope 
fingers crossed, the more I practice it, the more it will be natural because it's, it saves a lot of time and heartache if you can start in that place every time yeah. instead of after some stomach churning and some mind racking and some sleepless nights. Yep, I was just <laughs> going to say sleepless nights. Yep. Yes. So to pivot a little bit, getting back to the second question of the podcast, what has been the hardest season of your life? Man, I, I, this is so cliche, but COVID was rough. Mm. It was rough. And, and I think because there was so much that we couldn't control, and then I'll say, I'll personalize it, that I couldn't control, whether it be in the workplace, as it related to our student athletes experience, what we could be doing here on our campus or in this city or in this state, in, in this country, or couldn't do, you know, all the rules and, and the impact that I think we still won't see for a number of years and how devastating that was, even for people who didn't get sick or didn't know people who got sick, just the impact that that pandemic, this pandemic has had and, and how we had to totally shift so many things and away from some of our, our beliefs and our, our just the, the trajectory that we were on in, in all of our sports and, and how heartbreaking it was to see the impact that it had on our student athletes and our coaches, uh, our community, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just from an athletic standpoint, but just from a gathering standpoint, that, that very first summer and fall of having to tell our coaches, no, you, you can't have your team over for dinner and just how culture killing that is, you know, when you can't have fellowship with your people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how tough that was and, and the the strain that it had on our staff just from testing and um, the protocols, um, canceling games. Man, it was, that was hard. That was hard. Mm. Yeah. How did it affect you personally? Well, I learned how to do COVID testing. <laughs> things that I got to do. But I felt like the, that the job was put on hold, that ev- everything was focused now on ha- getting through this pandemic. And, and, and looking back, that was obviously the right thing to do, but there wasn't a lot of strategic planning going on. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, theory building and um, analysis and assessment. It was, what do we need to do today? And in some ways, maybe that was good for me that, again, going from plan A and now having to shift to plan B. But I just felt like we, I was missing out on the ability to make things better for the future and that everything was so focused on the here and now and, and on a, a situation that was so uncontrollable by anybody. I'm, there's no blame here at all, but, but so uncontrollable. And I felt like it was setting us back. You know, just from a growth standpoint, that we were lucky to just be holding serve to use a, a tennis analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, look, we did a pretty good job at it, mm-hmm. and I think you know, we made the best out of a really bad situation. Um, and I'm hopeful that as we are coming out of it, and and hopefully turning this corner here, that we can get back to some of those more strategic planning, future looking. Um, evaluations and assessments to to start us back on that trajectory. Mm-hmm. What event in your life most shaped the trajectory of your life? There are so many actually that I can think of, um, but honestly, coming to Gonzaga, I think, is probably the has had the biggest influence on mm-hmm. the trajectory of my life. When I came here, um, I came because I got to play soccer, but I, I, even as a young girl, I wanted to come here. I had relatives that went to Gonzaga, so I'd always heard of it. It was a really small school back then, 
uh, unless you lived in the state of Washington or maybe northern Idaho, Montana, you didn't know about Gonzaga back then, but I did because I had family connections. My mom was born and raised in Spokane. So I always knew I, I, I was interested in Gonzaga, and when I was also able to play soccer, that was, to me, a match made in heaven, and mm-hmm. so the stars aligned there. But little did I know that it was going to lead to this. I, I never had any intention of staying in Spokane. I never had any intention of working in college athletics. I didn't know that was a job when I came to school here. Uh, I was going to be a lawyer or an accountant. Mm. Um, I knew pretty early on in my accounting uh, classes that that was not going to be a thing for me, but uh, I I still thought law school was going to be an option for me, and I wanted to go to Gonzaga Law too, uh, coming out of high school. But when this opportunity happened, and it was all because I was a student athlete, I, I... and here sitting in front of you mm-hmm. today because of that. So I think coming to Gonzaga was, was a very pivotal moment for me. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how the decisions you make, even when they have to do with other things, like you came to Gonzaga to play soccer because your family knew about it, leads to so much more. And now, you know, you have this whole career and you're shaping the athletic department itself because you once were a student athlete here. Do you feel like it's important to be at this school? Like, would you want to be an assistant AD? Is that assistant AD? I have a lot of titles. Um, I'm, a, I'm a deputy athletic director. Okay. Chief operating officer, senior learning administrator. Wow. Yeah. Wear many hats. Yes. So would you want to be any of those roles at another school, or does it? Is there something to be said about being at Gonzaga? I get, I get asked that question a lot, and I and I feel like every day I walk into work with unfinished business, and I don't like that. I like I want to. Like you said, I want to see something through, and and to me, it that's a um, there, there's not like an actual. Well, I do have a to do list, but I'm not trying to cross off certain things. If you know what I mean, I I just feel like my the impact that I can have here is um, not finished yet, and I would love to do as much as I can here. And I've been really lucky to grow in my role uh, without having to leave. That that's not very common. That that to grow responsibility or to do new things or different things, the normal thing is you have to leave to go and do that. So again, as I said earlier, I don't take for granted the opportunities that I've been given here and, and have been able to take advantage of. Um, and I, I don't want to screw that up. I don't, I don't want to um, leave without finishing that mm-hmm. and without seeing that through. So until they kick me out of here, I'm, I'm going to stay as long as I can Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I it's given me so much and I feel like I still have a lot to give back Mm -hmm. that's nice the going from internship all the way to all the titles you just mentioned (laughs) if you were to look at yourself in a third person position so you don't have to talk about yourself but indirectly you're talking about yourself what made her so successful what was her secret to getting as high up as she did and probably eventually getting even higher this is where I'm probably my my own worst enemy because the way I would answer this is that I had really good mentors and really good champions along the way. Um, and, and sometimes that meant that they were telling me, you can do this. Mm. Sometimes that meant they were in the room somewhere else saying, she can do this. Um, but either way, I, I had and still have incredible champions in my corner, even when sometimes I'm doubting myself. Um, but I think it would be silly to think that I'm, I'm here only because of other people, right? You know, you, you hear that all the time, mm-hmm. that the networking is huge, right? It's who you know that matters, and that is true. But that only gets you in the door. You have to be able to make your own mark. You have to prove your skills, your abilities, um, your drive, your, your um, 
in, in our case, being able to work on a team and, and um, get the job done. And so I know that I had something to do with it as well. It's just not my first natural reaction to say, well, it's because I worked really hard and, and I knew what the heck I was doing uh, because a lot of times I didn't know what the heck, or at least I didn't feel like I knew what the heck I was doing. Uh, but I did have people in my corner and continue to that, that helped help me realize that um, I can do it. Mm-hmm. So besides those people, besides having those people in those yeah. the corner, because I think that some people that that's almost a blessing to have those people in your corner that believe in you. But oftentimes people don't have those people in their corners, and it's only until they kind of prove them wrong, so to speak, that those people then kind of are in their corners. So I guess speaking to your experience as if you didn't have people that really were in your corner, what are all the other things? that got you here? Because you're right, they only got you in the door as far as who you know. So what has propelled you through? I think it's been my ability to um, not take myself too seriously, probably, for one, own up to mistakes, um, be able to say I'm sorry, I need to do that more too. Um, But I think seizing opportunities, right? So like you said, and and, and maybe I said as well, that, that somebody can open the doors for you, but I wasn't afraid to take them. Mm. You know, I didn't say no a lot, maybe not enough sometimes. I wanted the challenge. I wanted to do new things. I still do. Um, And so I guess I didn't see limits. Uh, It's not that I was so aspirational that I was just going to keep going, but I I didn't maybe know any better. I didn't, my first reaction wasn't to think, oh, I could never do that, or or, I didn't think of that before, so thereby it must not be real. I, I didn't think that way, and... I, I don't want to disappoint people. I'm a pleaser. Um, anybody who is in my family would, would agree with that. And so I think part of that too was I wanted to make others proud of taking a chance on me mm-hmm. and, and not regretting that decision. Um, I think that was early in my career. And now I, it's more self-fulfilling. I, I want to do a good job for me because I, I want to feel good about what I do. And, and the time I do spend away from my family, I want it to be meaningful that I'm having an impact elsewhere if I can't be calm I want to make sure that what I'm bringing to the table is making somebody's life better Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form and so as I age and get older and have more perspective that that's fulfilling to me and I want to keep doing that as long as I can Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because I'm very much like you as far as I'm just like why not why not do that why couldn't I do that but I think that's also a blessing because some people aren't innately like that some people don't believe in themselves. Some people just think, well, I never thought of that, so therefore I can't do it, or I didn't study that, so therefore I can't pursue that, or whatever it looks like. And so I've even talked to friends about, well, why can't you? I mean, the sky's the limit. You can do anything. And so what would be your advice to people who maybe aren't in the category we are as far as like, well, I can do anything, which it may be a little naive at times and a little bit overambitious, but what about the people that aren't in that category, what advice would you have for them? I, I think two things. One, I, I still think it's important to have those those trusted individuals. Call them champions, call them friends, call them advocates, call them allies, what, whatever we want to term them. But somebody that you can go to who will give you honest feedback. And that when they say to you, that's a bit out of reach, let's start here, that that's not them trying to hold you back. That's them Putting, help, helping you realize maybe a, uh, um, a way to get there someday. Um, but then also somebody who can say, you can do this. 
trust yourself and trust them that they know you. So I think that's one thing. But I think too, that oftentimes we jump to the worst case scenario and, and sometimes we miss on that. And so if we're gonna take a chance on something and we're gonna say, why not? What's the worst that's gonna happen? And is that worst so bad that I can't learn from it or grow from it? And then conversely, what's the best that can happen? And almost kind of generating that pros and cons list and what can you live with and what can't you live with? And, and, and if the, the, the worst case scenario is, and maybe even the second worst case scenario are things that, man, I, I just, that's a non-negotiable for me. I can't, I can't deal with that or I don't want to deal with that. Then maybe it isn't worth the risk. But if, if those, the risks do, in some ways, if those great, those, those great benefits, I should say, outweigh those risks, why not? Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. It's also, I want to go back to the word champion because I think when people hear the word champion or ally, it's not someone that's always going to be in your corner in the sense that they're just going to be your yes men. Like everything you do, they're just yes, yes, yes. It's actually someone who has the courage to sit down and say, I actually don't know about that. Or that's not true to your character. Mm -hmm. You're acting out of line. And being able to respond to those people, like we talked about earlier, in a way that's kind and receptive to that, I think is just as important as sitting down and listening to those people. So what if someone doesn't have those people in their life? What's your advice to them? How do you find those people? That's a great question, and I don't know how to answer that. I've, I've been so fortunate to have a champion, whether that be my mom or my dad, you know, or, or here professionally, my colleagues, my bosses, even other people on campus. And, and I think the reason they became my champions, it's not like I asked them, and it's not like they applied for it. I think it started with building relationships. And so I guess that's what I would tell somebody who doesn't feel like they have a champion. It's, it's take, a, take a hard look at your relationships and can you build one or two of those into a relationship where maybe it's somebody who can take on that role? And if not, then can we reflect on why? Hmm. And, and, and what can we be doing to either find other relationships or take a different approach to those current relationships where they can become deeper or become something that you need it to be and being honest with that person too and that that's what they're seeking obviously they have to agree to it mm -hmm. right <laughs> um but but i think i think there should be some hard reflection as to why don't you have a champion mm -hmm. yeah and, and what can you do about it mm -hmm. and maybe people think that's selfish of me to want something more of that relationship but it's not like it has to be one-sided. You too can be this person's champion. Or someone else's, mm -hmm. right? Pay it forward and you're somebody else's champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I um, sometimes think that those people are just taken for granted, that those people just come into your life. But to be in a place where you actually have to think, I am willing to be vulnerable enough to listen because I think that's something that's also really hard, especially as a perfectionist and someone that likes to control thinking, well, I'm doing everything, like I know best. I know my situation best. I know the situation best because I've spent so much time in the situation. I know what's best. So to take a step back and be like, wait, maybe I don't know what's best. And to be able to listen to those people, I think is so powerful and I need to get better at it because I'm not always very good at it. I've been in the transition period from like my mom being my champion to having other champions. And it's, some people that are my champions now, I'm like, oh, I, w I wouldn't have expected that. But they just kind of surprise you as far as the people that are really 
going to be brave enough to share their opinion with you because I think so many people now are just like oh do whatever you want do whatever feels good and that's not really what a champion is right and I and I shouldn't I I would be remiss if I didn't say we should be our own best champions Mm -hmm. by the way that that we we should be our our best advocate we should be self-sufficient we we should be able to to stand alone but we're strengthened by having a champion that's what I believe anyways Mm -hmm. So how do you get there? Getting again, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. It's 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 intentional. It's time consuming. It's um, taking moments to build those relationships, valuing them. Um, maybe sometimes they get broken, and mm-hmm. do you rebuild them or move on? I mean, it's 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 an investment. And how do you um, get? How do you find yourself getting there with yourself? Well, yeah, that's done. I'm in my 40s. It's still happening. It just it takes time, and mm-hmm. and I think for others, it's a different process. It's a different journey, and and mine, just through my 20s, it it was some hard battles and and conversations with those trusted people to get me to realize finally to be finally open to that feedback mm-hmm. of like there could be a different way, and and trust yourself, and you you can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and don't jump to the negative all the time that that what's the upside Mm -hmm. what's the best thing that could happen Mm -hmm. can you see the bigger picture beyond just the here and now and and what happens if that doesn't happen but maybe it leads to something else and and just having people open my eyes to those discussions even with myself but but taking somebody else um, their voice to to get me to finally hear it Mm -hmm. So to pivot a little bit more and to stay on brand with the podcast, it's called It's the Daily Grind Podcast because I'm also interested in not just the most monumental experience you've had, maybe your hard season, but each day can be a hard season sometimes, like just going through the mundane tasks or checking off this to-do list or battling with the tension of I'm here, but my kids are home or whatever we've talked about. So what does it look like for you to get through the daily grind? Like, what are the tools or the practices that you use to make sure that when you step into the office, you're putting your best foot forward and can be present, and when you go home, you're putting your best foot for foot forward and can be present? Great question. And some days are obviously better than others. And I will say that I I'm a very routine person, and so again, this is where my agility sometimes, or my lack thereof, um, gets in the way. So if if I don't, you know, follow the same routine, does it throw me off? Not as much anymore, but because I'm in the season of change, and so I've had to adjust mm-hmm. to that. Uh, but I start every day. I get up and I have a big glass of water, and then I have a cup of coffee, and I read the newspaper. Still, not on paper. It's at least on my phone now. <laughs> um, that's what I do every morning, whether I'm at home or traveling uh, for work or whatever. That is how I start every day, and and it's just a time. And I'm by myself because I get up so early. And it's it's my time that I don't I didn't realize was going to be important to have those 15, 20, 30 minutes by myself. But I, I truly think about nothing, and I don't I don't mean for it to be meditative. It's not it's not intentionally so. But I no one else is there. <laughs> it's very quiet because I'm trying not to wake anybody up. And I have my coffee and I read the paper, and it mm. it just it centers my mind. And I and I until you really asked the question, I didn't even really think of it that way. But but that's what it does. 
And then it's a mad dash to get the lunches. I still make my kids lunches. Don't make fun of me. No joking. <laughs> but it's, the, it's still one of the things that I can do for them. Um, and then it's a mad dash till they get out the door, and, and then I get to work. And the drive into work, um, I should be, you know, listening to certain things or, you know, maybe a podcast, maybe a radio show. But I don't. I listen to 80s or 90s music and every day. And that's... It, it's mindless, but I it takes me back to, mm-hmm. you know, the time when I was my kid's age and how music was fun and just something you did and you listened to and uh-huh. did with your friends and I still know the words and I sing along. Yes, I do. And I'm sure people driving by me think this lady's crazy. But by the time I get to work, I'm, I'm just ready. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of like my pregame routine, if mm-hmm. you will. So, and then... It, the, the, the grind at night is, is different, you know, with the kids' activities or our, our athletic events here at school. Uh, there's always something, and that's okay. I, I, I always say I'd rather be busy than bored, and, and so every day is just different. My husband and I say, all right, what do you got tonight? Normal day? He'll say normal day. I'm like, what's normal? Yeah, right. <laughs> normal day. Um, and I keep a calendar. I guess It used to be written, but now I just keep it on my phone, and I, I just look at it every morning. What do we got today? Sometimes I, I do it on Sunday, so I, if there's anything I need to plan ahead for. Now mm-hmm. that both my kids can drive, that's helpful. So I'm, I'm not the Uber driver as much anymore, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to where they're going to. That's funny. We're so similar. I, too, have my mornings that I just am quiet, that I can be in my own space, and that really sets me up for the rest of my day. I've noticed these past few days with festivities or whatever, when I don't have that time, it's just the rest of the day is so off and I'm like craving that time. It makes me more antisocial, a little bit more snippety, like less just go with the flow because I've already done my thing. No, when I don't have my time, bad things. But when I can have my time, then I'm so much more equipped to pour into others. Mm-hmm. And because I've already poured into myself the first thing. And I think that's kind of as I'm speaking it out loud, a way that you're your biggest champion, is by pouring into yourself first thing in the morning, whatever that looks like, whether that's the newspaper or music, and that way you're able to pour into others. Mm -hmm. Same thing with me. I think people that can take time through the middle of the day are special because without, or even in the evening, because without starting off the day like that and really showing yourself, you're my first priority. The first thing I do is with regard to you or yourself, right? So without that, I just don't know how you set up your day for success as far as really being able to pour into others. So I'm, I'm very much like that. I also keep a calendar and everything is planned. Maybe we'll have to practice midday uh, self-time. Yes. I don't know Even how. Even just 15 minutes. I don't know how, but we could try. Either, but we'll try. Yeah. If you find a method, you let me know. Okay. Isn't it funny how music has such an impact, like taking you back? Whether and you said pregame routine, which is pretty interesting because, you know, I was just at the baseball game and everyone has the same walk-up song, and and surely that triggers something in their brain to get ready. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's triggering, and so too on your drive with music. So the last question I'll have to wrap up is, where do you want to go from here? What's your what do you want your next season to be? I would love even just a short period of time of tranquility where mm-hmm. just there's some calm, some serenity. Um, we, we are lucky to have a place at a lake too. And it's my favorite place on earth because I love to sit on the dock or the back of the boat and read a book and not on my phone or my, my device. I read a book, turn the pages. I love it. It's my favorite thing. 
uh, and it's just the sound of the water and the birds and the boats. Um, and I, it's, it's my medicine. Uh, but it's under construction right now, so oh, no. it's not even peaceful. So I, I look forward to some calmness. Mm. And, and I don't mean complacency. I, I, I know that sometimes it can come across that way, but just calm, just mm. calm waters for a period of time, and which I hope will get me ready for the next big wave, to keep using the water analogy, but mm. to be ready for it and, and um, have the, the space to, to deal with it without feeling tired. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you're trying to find that tranquility now in this season? In small chunks, you mm-hmm. bet. I, I think we have to. Mm-hmm. I, I well, at least I do. I that's that's kind of how I work. I I I get exhausted by the the grind. I love it. I love the grind, but I get exhausted by it. So if I don't take care of myself and and find just those moments of calm, and maybe that's why my morning routine is so good for me because it's calm and quiet. Uh, and so I do get a little bit every day, but but maybe a little bigger chunks. Yeah, like an actual season nice. yeah. might be nice. Yes. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing more of your story kind of behind the scenes and talking about things that I think are so relatable to really driven people, type A people, and all the things we all struggle with, perfectionism, pleasing others, you know, wanting to be A plus at everything and every time and space and really that's not reality being C in everything. If we try to do that or just being B plus or greater is has to be good enough. And I really like that. Just being good enough is okay. doesn't have to be perfect. So thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for including me.